This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We really appreciate you listening along to some industry thought leadership here from the Opportune team. And per usual, we've got some big, heavy-hitting topics to break down. And before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the show, let's make sure that we're getting all the Opportune content we desire, right? So if you want some previous episodes of the podcast or you want to find out a little bit more about Opportune solutions and services in this space, make sure you're heading to our website, opportune.com. And also subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You'll find a full catalog there of previous episodes. Plus, when you hit that subscribe button, notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the show, we're going to be discussing ASC topic 842 leases and specifically the impact to private companies as they adopt this standard. The fundamental goal of this topic and its various iterations is to make sure all leases with a term of greater than 12 months are recorded on a company's balance sheet, whether it is an operating or a finance lease. So with the update to the codification, we wanted to get deeper on why these changes are happening and how private companies specifically, especially in the oil and gas space, should strategize to transition effectively to ASC 842. So to break down these critical changes to the lease accounting standards, we're joined by one of Opportune's longtime thought leaders with 12 and a half years at Opportune after being acquired in March 2009. Our guest today also brings a history of using software applications to help companies comply with their accounting standards. So I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Dave Laux, director at Opportune. Dave, great to have you on. How are you doing today? It's nice to be here. Thanks, Daniel. Absolutely. Real pleasure getting to chat today. Thank you again for giving us your time and obviously your industry expertise on the conversation today. So let's start here. Uh, Briefly, can you provide an overview of what the 842 ASC lease accounting standard entails? Who specifically should be in the know and what compliance timeline people should be aware of there? Yeah. So this is a goofy one because it it really has changed and, and they started talking about it way back in 2010, and they finally got it for public companies. Um, you know, we've got, had 2019 and 2020 have already been, um, you know, reported on by the public companies and, and audited by the auditors as well. And so it's really the private companies that need to adopt here in, in, in 2022. And it's really kind of funny because, like, you really don't have to do your, your interim disclosures until 2023. But, you know, you probably should get going with it and, and, and you know, be ready, you know, come 1-1-2022 with this one. The big thing with it is, is, is any lease that's greater than 12 months, whether it's an operating lease or a finance lease, which is different than the old terminology where we used a capital lease, um, the operating leases need to get put on the balance sheet with, you know, through some math, right? So you have to do something. That's the big thing with this is that because the math changes, you have to record something. 
one of the things as we've been going through this with, with companies, I, I received some good constructive criticism from a client where they said, Dave, you got to make sure you also talk about the short-term lease part of it, which is just a disclosure. So, you know, with, with us, with the software, you know, we're a little more, you know, focused on, hey, what's going on with, you know, what get, actually gets booked and gets put in the software. And I always have to remember, hey, you know, you're going to have to change your procedures with the short-term leases to get that disclosure in as well. So the FASB moved towards the model of public companies adopting this new standard first, and then private companies were supposed to get another year to adopt. This was mostly because of COVID crunches to the broader industry, but this was supposed to allow the private companies to learn from the public companies and what worked well and what didn't and take some of that and apply it strategically. With leases, the FASB in October 2019, again, decided to give private companies another year. Then they decided to delay the adoption to periods beginning after December 15th, 2021. Can you give us a little context again, Dave, on why they delayed again, again for a second time? Uh, just lay that out for us. Well, it, it, it was COVID and, the, you know, I, I think I may be the only person who wasn't happy that this didn't get ad adopted when it was supposed to. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, the regulators actually just said, you know, hey, let's, you know, give another delay with, you know, since we don't know how people are going get, to get together. You know, and it, it's turned out to be a good thing um, and, and not, you know, it's given some people some, some more time to, you know, to, to deal with this. Um, but, you know, I, I'm ready to go and sell some software here, too. I love that. And we'll get to the software component a little later in the conversation. Uh, so, uh, again, as a refresher, the deadline to comply for private companies, you said that's 1-1-2022? Yeah. You need to adopt as a 1-1-2022. You can early adopt. Um, and, and really, the first disclosures that you, you must have are in your audited financial statements for 2022. So that's where you get into this funny part of, okay, when are you going to do this? You know, what do I need to do now? And, you know, what, what could I wait on a little bit? Obviously we want people to, you know, to be there. And, and I think, you know, from the financial statement disclosure standpoint, I think all the boards and, and management of companies, you know, really would want to, you know, to be ready to be adopted at one, one, you know, 2022 on the, on the private company side. Sure. And we'll also offer some insights into what that timeline looks like, right? one one sounds kind of far away, but actually the way time moves nowadays, uh, it's right around the corner. So got to be some steps being taken uh, uh, proactively to really make sure that you can meet that deadline. So uh, before this deadline to comply, let's break down those steps, right? What are some of the key steps that you see private companies needing to take now before implementing to ultimately uh, comply with the new 842 lease accounting standard? What does that timeline look like? Yeah, the biggest thing is you, is you have to figure out what your population is, right? What do you have for leases? And it's actually really surprising on the oil and gas side how few leases a lot of, a lot of the public company oil and gas companies actually have. I've been shocked by that. You know, I may be living a little bit in the past and show my age here a little bit, but, you know, I remember back in my public accounting days, the, the one of the biggest days of, that there was, was, you, you know, when you got a new computer, right? So I was kind of, you know, anticipating we'd see a lot more IT assets be leased and we really aren't. And so it, it you know, it, it, it's pretty interesting to see how few leases a lot of these private companies are, are, are going to have. 
you know, it could be, you know, 25 or less. It could be a hundred or less. The, the count's really driven by, um, you know, kind of what you do with your vehicles and the vehicles in the field, right? Do you have something like that, 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 that's a fleet that's going to increase your count? Um, otherwise, hey, it's a, it's a lot smaller count than what we originally thought. So part of the context of our conversation, obviously, is companies, obviously private companies, haven't adopted this standard uh, at scale yet. So what advice would you give for private companies that have not started their ASC 842 implementation, right? The deadline is approaching, the clock is ticking. Where do they need to start to get ahead of this change and actually achieve that transition in, you know, four months, basically? Yeah, there's a couple of things that, that, that you, where you should really start. One is, you know, really look at your commitments and contingencies reporting to see what you actually had in there where you where you've committed for longer than 12 months. Right. And, you know, that, you know, we, we all know an office lease is going to be part of this. Um, you know, you can get into some of the nuances of, of, you know, hey, is this a lease or not? But I think, you know, it's really just the, you know, as accountants, we know what a lease is, right? It's important when we talk to the operations people, and it is really important to get them involved, to ask them, hey, what do we rent out in the field, right? And notice that I use the word rent, not lease there, right? Because, hey, the, that lease especially in the oil and gas world, that's, you know, what, what we've, where oil and gas properties are, right? It's an oil and gas property lease, but that's not part of this. And so it's, it's really kind of, kind of funny how, um, you know, how this all, all has come together. And, and so in the oil and gas world, we really want to make sure that we say, Hey, what are we renting out in the field? What type of equipment is it? And, and so when we help companies with this, we really, you know, start at, you know, at the drilling site, and kind of walk through the whole process to, you know, delivery of the hydrocarbons, you know, to whoever the end user is, whether it's oil or whether it's gas, all the way through the system to figure out, hey, who owns this? You know, do we own it? Do we rent it from somebody? Who do we pay to, you know, to, you know, to use that piece of equipment? And, and, and is it, you know, a lease that actually does need to be recorded? Uh, and is it something that, um, you know, is less than, than or between 30, 30 days and a year. So it's this short-term lease disclosure as well. So it, it, there's, there's some complications to this. And it's one of these, we, we, we got to get rolling with it, right? And, and, and just get the process moving. Now, there are some private companies that have begun this transition already, ones that, uh, you know, tried to get ahead of the incoming deadline. So for those companies that have started moving to the ASC 842 lease accounting standard, what do you see as potentially some of the biggest challenges on the horizon uh, that uh, you think clients should start addressing now as they continue to implement, right? Where there might be some uh, roadblocks or some choke points in achieving the successful implementation, yeah, it it the the biggest one really is is that short term lease disclosure, and you're going to have to change how you're how you are recording it to capture what that is. So you're going to have to add a couple more general ledger accounts to this, um, and you know, and possibly kind of change the way that you're recording it. Which you know, anytime you change something, that's hard. It's going to create a bottleneck, and somebody's going to you know do it the old way, right? And, and, and so to kind of watch that through and figure out, you know, hey, how do we, you know, how, how do we capture our, our population 
because, you know, they're continuing to do business, right? So, hey, we've added a new lease in. How do we know that that's there? What's the process? And, you know, and get to 1-1 and, 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 and move forward. And this is your new process. It's going to change from this, from that moment forward, just like we had with revenue recognition, um, just like we had with ARO, any of these new standards that actually, you know, change how we do things. So let's draw some examples out to offer to our audience if there's any private companies out there listening and gearing up for this transition. Like we mentioned, public companies have had this transition locked in for years now. What are some of the most interesting leases you've seen under this new codification? And what learning lessons can we apply for how this is going to be applicable for private companies? Yeah, it 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 it, it is interesting, and we and we do keep thinking that we're going to see the leases actually change, right? A little bit in the format, um, you know, with landlords and others really looking at it. We haven't seen that to date. It's been a little bit more, um, you know, the the economic conditions, right, that have changed, um, you know, terms and put some put some interesting terms on the lease, like in Houston right now. Got a couple of groups that have like two years worth of free rent, right? And that that complicates the accounting and and you know and complicates the new lease accounting with it as well under under eight forty two, and and you know it's just one of those that you know you got to understand what the terms are, know when you're actually making payments, and you know read the read the lease to know know what's actually there. There's also some. Um, you know, where, where companies will, uh, you know, have long-term uh, surface use agreements out, out in the field. And they may make, I, I saw one that has uh, a payment on day one and a payment on year 10, and it's for 20 years. Again, that's just kind of interesting payment terms, right? And, and it kind of creates uh, a, some interesting accounting entries under 842, as we move forward with this. So even though public companies have been complying with Topic 842 now for a few years, do you think how companies show how they comply will continue to evolve? Yes, no, why or why not? And how should these companies stay up to date on potential future changes if they do come down the pipeline? Yeah, you know what? It, I, again, I'm going to put the software bent on on this one, right? Where Hey, when you put a, a, a new software program out, it's in beta, right? And and you know you're you're trying to comply with what you know at that point in time. As this gets audited more, you know, not only just from the public companies but also on the private company side, as the PCOB and the SEC, you know, look at you know how the auditors have been auditing this, um, and what does need to get kind of tweaked there will be some new guidance that's out there. You know, it's kind of the, you know, the standard ways um, of, of, of keeping up to date, right? Where, um, you know, you got to, you know, know from, you know, people in your network, uh, hey, this is what's going on. Um, you know, know from going to conferences and, and, and things like that, you know, and hearing speakers actually talk about, hey, here's something new that you really should be thinking about. And then, you know, having, you know, qualified, uh, you know, ad advisors who are, are there helping you along because, you know, there's so many accounting standards out there. It is really hard to comply with all of them all the time, um, you know, with, with, without some help along the way. 
I want to introduce some other uh, timely points to our conversation. One of them is the transition to remote work. Obviously, the pandemic initiated this major shift and validation in the number of employees working remotely. And with lease negotiations continuing to occur frequently, particularly for real estate, I was wondering, is remote work complicating the efficacy or the efficiency of lease negotiations? Yes, no, and what's been the impact? Yeah, it, it definitely does, right? And companies really are looking at this and saying, you know, hey, what do we really need for office space, right? You know, you have to think about the evolution of the office space over the last 20 years, right? Where you you went from having huge file rooms and all the paper that, you know, that we had and, and you know, for the history of, of what's going on with the company, right? And, and now all that is stored electronically, right? So it, it really has changed and what the footprint really needs to look like, you know, is different. And, you know, there are definitely some jobs that probably don't need to be in the office all the time, right? And so I, I think we'll continue to see, you know, the, the, the actual, you know, uh, real estate footprints really change over the next couple of years. And, you know, less and less office space actually is going to be required. And when less, when there's less demand, obviously prices go down when the supply stays the same, right? That's just simple economics when you really get down to that one. Um, it, 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 it's going to continue to be, to be a, a less e market here, um, at least for a while. Uh, don't think we're going to see a whole lot of cranes building a whole lot of new new buildings uh, in in any of the oil and gas cities anytime soon. Now, do you see this impact on lease negotiations complicating audits as well? Why or why not? And how should companies get ahead of this potential impact? So, th so the big thing w w with this is is that you know if you have uh, additional optional terms that are out there. <laughs> I don't think anybody with a straight face right now can actually say, hey, I know, you know, for sure that I'm going to exercise that option to take, you know, this space, you know, for the next five-year term or the five-year term after that, like what we used to see, right? Where, hey, the original term was five years and there was an option for another five and another five after that. I think what will actually get recorded really will just be the initial term. Because uh, you know, no one can can say for sure what the future actually holds, and I think that's what you know what COVID did to you know to the lease market. And there's still a lot of uncertainty uh, around the impact of remote work on commercial office space, for example. Uh, some real estate experts and landlords have actually reported an uptick in interest in short-term leases because of that uncertainty. Are employees going to come back? Is there going to be another variant? Are we just going to need to, you know, rent out this space to another company or do we abandon the space entirely, right? So how can companies account for leases with a term of 12 months or less? What kinds of complexities are involved when you shorten the lease length like that? Uh, again, that, that, that's all that short-term lease disclosure, right? So it's not going to get booked, you know, on the balance sheet, but it's the disclosure that you need to make on that. You know, and I think it is going to be interesting to see, you know, if with some of that short-term stuff, like, hey, where do the WeWork office spaces, you know, do people actually go to them and, and, and try to take on more of those short-term agreements, right, rather than having something greater than 12 months? 
We've been talking software, so let's go ahead and bring that into the conversation uh, more intentionally. But a major part of this transition is making sure you have the right tools for the job. So when it comes to having some support, right, whether that's more teams uh, or really, in this case, investing in a software tool, how many leases does one need to have managing at any given point before they actually need software support? Is there a metric that you typically advise? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, the, the, the math behind this is actually a, a, a fairly simple amortization schedule, right? And I think most accountants would would say that. Now, where it gets harder is, is how does that actually, you know, work into the disclosures, right? So even if you have one, you know, if you can get the value out of, of, of catching what the disclosure amount, amount should be and how that disclosure should be set up, there's some value there. I really think like, you know, if, if you have, you know, five or 10 and upward from there, it, it really does make sense to have a software tool to, uh, accumulate all those disclosures, right? You can't have, if you had a hundred vehicles, have a hundred tabs in a spreadsheet and know that you've picked up every single one of those in a, in, you know, in a spreadsheet model that you have, you really do need software on that end to, to make sure that everything is rolling up correctly. So if it's that useful from the get go, what are some uh, strategies or some tips you would offer for uh, selecting a lease software tool, right? What do you actually need it to achieve? What are some of the metrics that you can use to identify? Is this right for me? Is this not worth the investment, right? Go ahead and offer those for us. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it really does come down to, you know, hey, how, how many do I have? You know, what are the disclosures that I actually, you know, need to make around this? And what types of leases do I have? Do I have just operating leases? Do I have some finance leases as well? And, you know, I, I think you need to, uh, you know, find a vendor that works for you and that, you know, you know, you can call and ask questions of, they're going to be responsive on the support line. They're going to get back to you and, and they can explain, you know, in, in accounting terms, Hey, this is what's going on here. It's kind of interesting. One of the harder things that we've had to deal with is modifications because it's a very specific modification uh, part of the standard. And it's interesting because we see a lot of people actually making corrections using the modification tool, which actually gets you to a different answer. And that's a little bit harder to, you know, to deal with. So you, you really want to understand how they, how they deal with modifications, when you would actually use modifications. And, and again, I just can't, you know, stress, Hey, how do they support the product and, and, and how quickly do they get back and they answer your questions? I want to harken back to an old adage from the auditor world. I'm sure our audience will enjoy this one, but liability is all about completeness. They often say, so give me your tips here. How does a company actually prove the completeness of its solution and of assisting in the auditing process? Yeah, they, they really need to make sure that they get the other departments involved, right? They have to have meetings with the operations group and, and, and be asking them, you know, hey, what are we renting out in the field, right? They have to get together with the IT people and, you know, ask, hey, what kind of a, a communication equipment is in the office? And like we kind of work it from, you know, kind of, you know, visually, right? Kind of from the desk to the cloud. 
and, you know, in the office to kind of work, the, you know, work that through to say, hey, you know, what do we rent in the office, right? The phone system, uh, you know, office equipment, what's in the break room, all that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, just you have to, and, and one of the things I always say as well, too, you have to show your work like you're a fifth grader, right? We all knew what the answer was in the, you know, the math test in fifth grade, but unless you showed your work, the teacher thought, you know, you were wrong, right? So you have to, you know, go through and show those steps that you've done to actually make sure that you have a complete population. All right. We're just about done with the conversation. Thank you so much for your time so far. Last main question I've got for you is peering into the crystal ball. One of my favorites. We're going to look ahead a little bit. So what do you see as some of the core market trends or regulatory dynamics, really anything in between shaping future updates to lease accounting standards? And how should that inform some of the transitions today and investments happening today as well? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it is kind of interesting that um, you know, market trend wise, uh, 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 you know, again, we really haven't seen the quantity of leases that I was anticipating when the standard came out. Right. And uh, the, the, the secondhand copier and printer market must be a lot bigger than, than what I thought it was. Um, since the, you know, a lot of those are, are owned as well. Um, and, and I think you're going to continue to see, uh, more companies actually looking at, at, at some of these, you know, pieces of equipment that were, were rented before. And I think you're going to see them buy a little bit more because the accounting is going to be easier. And that, that, that's interesting to me when you start thinking about it from a, you know, a use of capital standpoint, but I, you know, I, I do continue to see that. And, um, you know, again, all the fleet vehicles, you know, you just kind of thought, you know, all the, the, the vehicles were just, uh, you know, leased and they had a, a fleet manager that, you know, took care of them. And, you know, and I, I'm, I am, I'm really surprised at how many companies actually own the assets. And I think that is something that's going to continue forward and somewhat in relation to this, you know, to the standard, right? Hey, it's already on the balance sheet. You know, if we, you know, if we own it, um, you know, it's really no different than, than the lease. So the, the, there isn't a, there isn't a benefit of, of, of leasing it right now. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of these changes come through the pipeline in years to come. I mean, considering the transitions even from ASC 840 to ASC 842, uh, you know, we continue to see updates and adjustments to some of the little loopholes or some of the market trends that shape what are today's lease needs, right? So as we continue to prepare for those changes and adapt to the ones that we're facing today, we're going to continue these conversations. But till then, Dave Laux, thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a pleasure breaking this down with you. Again, we've been chatting with Mr. Dave Laux. He is a director at Opportune and has been with Opportune now 12 and a half years. Dave, if folks want to find out more about some of your thought leadership in this space or they want to get in touch with Opportune, uh, get some more tips and tricks, how can they get in touch? Where can they learn more? The website's always the best, you know, opportune.com. Um, they can always call, call, call me or... Uh, you know, call the main line and, and, and get a hold of me. I'm always ready to talk to anybody these days. So that's what I do. If you want to get a hold of Dave, make sure you shoot him an email at dlaux at opportune.com. Again, that's the letter D, then L-O-U-C-K-S. 
at opportune.com. Dlaux at opportune.com. Dave, thanks so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure chatting today. And thank you, everyone, for watching another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and you'd like some previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future thought leadership from the industry, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and head to our website, opportune.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and this has been another episode of E2B. E2B.